Okay, thank you, Lindy. First time community notes, pretty good? All right, okay. I'm um, going to introduce our speaker, Brian, in just a minute. But before that, um, sometimes as we're worshiping, obviously God speaks to us as his people. Sometimes I'll get a sense of God speaking something to for someone specific that it feels like should be more public. So I'll do that. It's um, it's this young man in the back. Um, what's your What's your name? The one I'm looking at and just looked backwards. Garrett, would you mind standing just for a minute? Garrett, thank you. Um, I don't know that I don't think we've met before, but um, during worship, I looked back and I saw you. And I, I'll just tell you the picture I saw. I think it's the way that Jesus sees you. And um, you, you had a, a monk's habit on, a white monk's habit. This is not a vocational calling. You had a monk's habit on, and on the front of the, uh, of the habit, there was a, a red heart with a cross coming from it. And I felt like the Lord just said, he's a saint. That, that was the word I heard, is he's a saint. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have any other translation other than, than either. My sense, and you test this, is that God is calling to him, you to himself in a deeper way in terms of your, either it's vocational or, or something about your heart, or that he is implanting the love of Jesus in your heart in a way that's about ex to explode into service in the world. Does that make any sense? Okay. Does that actually make sense for your life? And you can say, no, it's a bunch of bunk. Okay. All right. Could I just, could we pray for you? Okay. God, we thank you for Garrett. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you see um, that he's a saint. He's a holy one. And we call out the holiness in him. And just thank you, God, for your work in him and the work that you will do through him. I ask that you would um, give him discernment over this word, but that most of all, he would see himself as you yourself see him in all his glory because of Jesus. And we ask that you bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Garrett. I appreciate that. Good. Okay. Uh, I want to introduce uh, Brian Beeson. Clap. Uh, Brian is a longtime friend of mine and this church. Brian was our youth pastor slash associate teaching pastor guy for three years and has been at the International House of Prayer in Kansas City for the last 11 years. Um, he, he and his wife, Joni, and children. Let me just see if I get it right. Isaac, Hosanna, and John David. Yes. <laughs> uh, so uh, I would give you um, Brian's big, long resume, but I'll just instead give you the one thing that I think is most important, and that is in my long experience with Brian, his friend and colleague and, and partner in ministry, um, he's got a passionate love for God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that love comes out. So I just want to pray for him and then let him release on us. Okay. God, just put your hands out like that if you would. Thank you, God, for Brian. Just ask um, for the filling of your Holy Spirit again in him as he releases the word that you've given him. I thank you that he is a son of this house and a prophet to this house and um, a brother. So, God, would you speak your words through him and bless him with joy in the midst of it in the name of Jesus. Amen. What I forgot to mention in all that was that we as a church have been supporting Brian and his family in their ministry. So they're one of our ministry partners and it's one of the reasons we have such a joy to welcome them back. I'm out of here. Thanks, Randy. Oh, it's so good to be back. You know, this is our, we look at this as our, one of our church homes. So it's great to see you. You know, many of you, I'm looking at your faces. We have different histories together. And so just so thankful to be here and be with you. Uh, I just want to um, show a family picture, then a little testimony, then we'll jump into James chapter four, because we're going through the book of James uh, as a church. And so I want to speak into that as well. Um, yeah, I'm just here in Indianapolis for a week. It's just me this week. That's my family. Um, sometime we'll all come together, I promise. Um, but that's my wife. And then those are the children that Randy already introduced. We just took that picture, so it's fairly recent. Um, so I met Joni. It's been 11 years since I went out there. I thought it was going to be three months, and here we are. Um, and so, uh, so, so yes, yeah, so we serve as, it's a very strange term, it's intercessory missionary, which means, you know, we, our contribution to the Great Commission is to help advance 24-7 prayer. So places of prayer that are ongoing around the world. 
Um, but we do that in a variety of ways, you know, teaching or pastoring. But um, all of the missionaries, there's about 500 or so in Kansas City, believe it or not. <laughs> and many of us, you know, have different roles of praying in the prayer room, but then also teaching in a ministry school with young people, pastoring. And so that's kind of a little bit what Joni and I do. You can tell my wife's uh, from Asia, and so she's born in Taiwan, first-generation Christian, and the Lord has a neat testimony in her life. But we met in a parking lot there. And uh, I'd spent some time in China before we met, and so it was really cool how God tied that together. And so since then, we've been busy with building a family, so praise the Lord. So thank you so much again for partnering with us. It's a huge blessing and an encouragement as a missionary because even though we live in Kansas City, I'm American, I'm living in America, it's still we feel like strangers sometimes. So it's nice. I grew up in Indianapolis. It's nice to have a hometown and you still feel that, like that feeling for home, you know, so thank you. And, uh, you know, you guys are making an impact. Um, just a couple quick things, like my wife, something the Lord birthed um, just this year, but we started after post-COVID, uh, Zoom prayer rooms in Asia. So she's running about four to five prayer rooms a week, training people that speak Mandarin how to pray online and it represents about 10 nations like Mongolia, Turkey, China. They're all around the world, just like a lot of other nationalities, wanting to learn how to sing the word, how to encounter God, but doing it together. And then the hope is that they can go do it in the local setting after that, but equipping them in prayer. So that's one of the ways your impact is, is to help stir up prayer. Of course, in prayer, then people's identities get strengthened, right? Um, you know, people get their... Um, be able to release perfect revival and issues instead of just getting overwhelmed by fear of how dark things are. They can actually talk to God about it. And as a Christian, that's our authority to, to say things on God's heart back to him and things shift. And we're, we're a nation of priests that stand before the Lord. And so anyways, that's a part of your impact. Um, I want to share just other story just for fun. This happened last month just because it came to me. And it's kind of, it's kind of half funny, half a little like kind of alarming and then half just touching. So anyway, here we go. So you can put the picture up. So we, we host a lot of people come through, you know, a lot of people come through the mission base. And um, our program, we do a program on Sunday just to help people kind of grow and get connected to the mission base. And so this gentleman, Kenji and his wife, they just got married. He's from Japan. They actually kind of accidentally stumbled onto the mission base through a friend of a friend. But he's a pastor in Japan. They just got married, and my point of the story is this. I want you to see, wow, the Lord is doing something, as you know, but it's always great to be reminded, and uh, just to see the beauty of the Lord and his work in one person here. So I'm just going to take two minutes. So uh, Kenji's in there, and uh, a unique thing about him was that how his father got to know the Lord. First of all, Christianity in Japan is like less than a percent. It's a very, really challenging place to do pastoring work, Christian uh, and he, uh, his dad was a Buddhist, didn't, knew it wasn't real, knew it wasn't the right thing, started reading philosophy books like, you know, 50 years ago. And in that, he encountered Christianity. And as he read, read about Jesus, he's like, I want to get a Bible. So he gets a Bible, reads it cover to cover, and is looking for a Christian in Japan that can tell him what to do. <laughs> he comes across one, gets saved, and then his, his father's like, I want to be a pastor, and this is like the funny alarming part here, I want to have, he's single at the time, 12 children like Jesus had the 12 apostles. And I'm not married yet, so I'm going to go find a lady, and that's my proposition. Will you bear me 12 children? And just hold on. Gets crazier. Now, again, this is modern Japan. This isn't like, you know, back in the day we need people to work the land and, you know, get the rice growing. This is like industrialized Japan here, folks. Like, this is a little bizarre here. So he does, that's his, hey, guys, there's a lot of hope for you. Anybody single here? I just want to say there's a lot of hope. This worked for him. You just do it, you know, God can work with lots of stuff. Just try. Just step out there. He can work with you. So um, he goes out there, and he does that, and she says yes, and they had six children, and then six more. They had 12 children. He's number four. He trained him in prayer every morning, got him up early, a little strict, a little strict how he did it. So some of them probably need some inner healing, but he, he, they all, uh, anyways, he trained him and taught him, and now I think it's seven or eight of them are full-time pastors in Japan. 
Isn't that remarkable? And so he just stumbles in to this setting, and, and we talked to him after service. I'm like, he didn't say that. He just, I could tell he was hungry for more of the Lord. So I said, why don't you come over to our house? So we sat down. He had, came over, and we heard his story. We heard this, and we found out just recently in his church of just 20 people, you know, in a building, they started doing prayer services a couple times a week just to get stirred up, to pray for their neighborhood, to encounter God. And he just started it but didn't know what else to do. And a friend of a friend of a friend invited them to come. And, of course, he walked in the prayer room. He's just like, whoa. And just, just his whole perspective of what God's doing, his whole uh, excitement of what the Lord's doing. And so we've connected him to resources. And, you know, Japan's only four hours by airplane where my wife is from. So maybe we'll visit them sometime. But anyways, I love the Lord's heart. I love how he's connecting dots. I love how he's stirring people's hearts. And, you know, he's doing that for you here. He's doing that in Japan. He's doing it many places. But the Lord is preparing the church to be ready for his coming at whatever cost. And he has got eyes of fire, that, those eyes of desire for us to know him, to be ready for him. So, amen. All right, that's my message. Okay. Uh, Today's message, though, is, <laughs> the title is Accessing Greater Grace. Accessing Greater Grace. James chapter 4. And so uh, I, I do have, if you know me, uh, I do have notes, and I'm willing to share. But you got to go online for those, I think, I don't know if it's now or later. Um, but you can study those if you like. If you're, I really encourage that, you know, in a home group or group of friends just to talk through that. Um, but we're looking at how do we walk in the grace that God has available to us out of James chapter 4. And I just kind of want to review because I know a lot of life occurs between Sunday to Sunday. But this was one thing that was new to me when I was preparing for this message. Was that, um, oh I knew this, that James primarily is writing to Christians and how to walk out their faith. How to... Uh, not only express it, but to grow. So he's very practical as we're going through this. You guys have probably already found that. You've already done three chapters. Last week was on the tongue, right? Two was on um, showing favoritism. One was on going through trials. But one way to look at the book of James is to take each chapter, and each chapter really is an indicator for us if we're growing in maturity as a Christian. And all five are like different litmus tests. And I love that word. Different assessments. Different ways to gauge if we're growing into the image of Christ or if we're not. And so chapter one is responding to trials. And I'm just going to read these because each one they're like, it's exciting. It's also like a little zing to it. It should feel that way, I just want to say. It should have a little zing because it does cost us something to grow, but it's also exciting because you're getting called into something that the Lord wants to give you. And so chapter one, just review, then we'll go to chapter four, is responding to trials. He, the Lord, in verse four, he says that you would be perfect. really means can you be mature. He says, uh, really, do we take trials to draw nearer to the Lord, or do we spend most of our energy trying to escape them? <laughs> Sometimes it's a lot of energy, you know? Trying to medicate ourselves, distract ourselves, or, you know, this is my favorite, complaining or blame other people, or blaming God. Th those things, those are natural human responses, by the way. So if you do that, that's just being naturally human. But it takes, it takes a renewed mind with the Holy Spirit to say, actually, the Lord could be allowing this. He wants to produce maturity in me through pressure. I mean, I hate to say it to you, but the Christian life is really, there is pressure in the Christian life, and the Lord uses that. He's actually over that to produce the Lord in you. So if we spend most of our energy trying to escape that, we're actually, trying, we're actually fighting God. Well, this message is going great so far. <laughs> Chapter 2. I like this, but you guys are fun. Are we having fun? All right. Chapter 2. Uh, so that's another indicator of maturity. Um, are we relating to another person? This is a, this is a great zinger. Uh, based on what they can do for us, or is our heart just open to love them no matter their 
what friends they have, what neighborhood they live in, you know, what their body odor's like. I mean, you, you get my point is, do we uh, look for people that can improve our life primarily the way we relate? James says that's a sign of maturity. If you're doing it without favoritism and you're doing it just with your hands open to love others. Chapter 3, you guys went through that last week, controlling our speech. He says, if you, know, if you can control your speech or if you don't stumble in it, you're perfect, which is mature. Verse 2, chapter 3. So do we impart grace with what we say? Does that help others want to grow? Others think of other you know, possibilities or feel encouraged or does our speech, is it corrupting? Is it harsh? Is it critical? Do we exaggerate things to promote ourselves? The speech is an indicator of maturity. Now, if you're feeling like, oh, man, that's the Lord is going to, there's an invitation here, the second part of the message. Again, I'm just kind of reviewing right now. Uh, chapter 4, so this is the fourth kind of a way to see if we're growing, according to James, into maturity is it's the self-seeking life versus the God-seeking life. The self-seeking versus the God-seeking. Basically, giving ourselves over to things that either corrupt us or distract us from the Lord because, they, because we like Him, because, you know, that's just being human. We like that. Or are we investing in something that, honestly, as we invest in, we will like that too, but investing in pursuing the Lord. And then chapter 5 is the use of our money. Do we see the money as something we, it's only ours, we've earned, it's ours, or something that we have, but it's, in, we're, it's really we're entrusted in how we use it for the kingdom. So those are kind of five areas. And the encouraging thing is these aren't just tests to help us see, because we've got to ask ourselves this, because there is a day, James chapter 5 talks about it, where the Lord is coming, and he says three times, be patient. Why would he have to say patience three times? Well, it's because sometimes it's easy to quit or to check out. The Lord said, don't, you know, be patient. Keep engaged in this because I'm coming. I want to reward you for your life of faithfulness. I want to reward you for growing. And so it's, a, it's an assessment of maturity, but also these five areas are the playing field for developing maturity. They indicate where we are, but they also are the opportunity to then grow as we embrace those areas. All right, so now let's just jump to, oh, let me, let me say this. Maturity as a Christian is important for several reasons. You know, if you look in the New Testament, you know, when you mature, you're able to be stable. You're not confused by things. You know, think about all the confusion in the culture right now. Uh, when you're mature, you're able to please the Lord with your life. And you're, it shows that you're connected to the Lord. You're talking with Him. You're, you have a dynamic relationship. And actually, then that fruit or things come out of your heart naturally that release the kingdom of God, that, that, that bless others, that, that you know, seem in sense like Jesus. So we want to be mature. And I was looking at this this morning. I had this thought that, well, like how long does it take for a plant to bear fruit? That was kind of my thought. And I looked at fruit trees. Fruit trees, you know, once the seed goes into the ground and starts growing, it takes 5 to 15 years for a mature fruit to come out. So this is something, you know, I think sometimes we can learn about God's ways just by looking at how he designed other things, because it's, you know, it's, it just reflects him. Everything reflects his glory. And, you know, the Lord has planted the seed of Jesus Christ in you. You have the seed of the Lord in you. It says that, an imperishable seed in the Bible, means no one can take it away. But it's our job to, this is the message of James, to make sure it keeps growing and to, uh, to allow it and order our lives so we grow into maturity and bear fruit. So we're on that journey together, aren't we? Now, I want you to hear my heart. Uh, this is Roman numeral two. This is the, it's kind of the overview there. Oh, good. We have, okay, we got some time. Um, 
I want to look at Roman numeral two. So the message is accessing greater grace. So how do we, how, grace, what is grace? Well, it's really God's empowerment for living in the new life he's given us. Empowerment to, um, you know, encounter, experience God, empowerment for the works of the kingdom to come out of us. It's a, it's a grace is really empowerment. So how do we access this empowerment? That's what James 4 is about, but actually it starts with a problem. So we got to talk about the problem first, which is James 1, 1 through 5. Now, Lord, I just ask for ears for us to hear and just help us to get something fresh that would benefit us, even as we look at this area, God. Help, Lord. So this is the fourth test or the fourth playing field. It's chapter 4. Remember, we talked about five of them. The, it's, and it's, I'm titling it The Danger of the Self-Seeking Life. The Danger of the Self-Seeking Life. You know, when we um, heard the gospel, the news of Jesus and what he did on the cross, um, we, and we responded to that, we, uh, the Lord, you know, he washed our sins, he made us righteous in his eyes, and he put his very self in us that is going to grow. Or his children. Um, but then he told us then to take up your cross and follow me. Right? We're not dying on a cross to pay for sins. Jesus already did that. But he used the analogy of a cross again. Why did he do that? And he said, follow me. And he did, you know, he, when he met the disciples, when they were fishing, he first met them. He said, follow me. And after he was resurrected, he met him up in the north of Galilee. They were fishing. They, you know, he helped them catch fish again. And John and Peter were talking about how they would both live their life and die. And Peter was like, what, you know, what about John? What's your plan for him? Jesus like, don't worry about him. Follow me. He started and he ended kind of that season of his ministry with the same phrase. To follow me. And I think that's kind of what James 4 is indicating. As believers, we don't want to just get into the kingdom with a, a new heart, new desires, with our sins being washed. That's great, but then we want to experience all of the benefits of what Jesus paid for. As much as we can experience. That's really called our living condition. That's really called sanctification, but that's a big theological term. It just means our lifestyle now in the Lord is much of it's what we experience determined on how we respond to him bringing us into the kingdom. And James apparently was writing to people, this is crazy to think about, he is a leader this is what struck me, like, probably one of the most. He's a leader of the New Testament church. He's a brother of Jesus. He's in Jerusalem, and this is probably just a decade or two after a great outpouring of the Spirit in the same city where many people came, were speaking in tongues. They went out and started preaching throughout the Middle East, and now he's talking to the church, and this is believers. These are not unbelievers. He is <laughs> calling them adulterers and enemies of God because they're continually giving themselves over to desires that war against the new life Jesus paid for. So they had this great experience. They had a life of the Spirit as a church in Jerusalem, and yet just shortly after, years after, he's writing this letter. I mean, why else would he have to say these things? And he is very direct, by the way. This is a great passage to preach on. <laughs> But he has some very stark language, and they're having fights. They don't have anointing on their ministry because they don't have answered prayer. And there's a, uh, he's noticing as a leader or pastor, either in the natural or by the Spirit or both, that the people's, these you know, sinful desires or these desires against what the Lord's done for them is actually growing. Covetousness is growing, having th wanting things, but they don't have it for themselves. And he's saying that's growing. Look at, look at me. I mean, it's like, interesting. Maybe you didn't think of that before either. 
You know, we may walk into the kingdom just like these people in Jerusalem, and yet we have to constantly be patient, like James talks about, to guard our heart. Who or what are we seeking? What are we doing with the inner part of us that no one sees? You know, in the human life, like 95% of who we are is invisible to everyone else. It's the inner thoughts and hearts of each of us. That's who we really are. That's the theater. That is the playing field of how we experience God and experience other people. And that's the part we, we take with us. And James is addressing this for the believers in Jerusalem. Now, I guess I'll read. The, so we're, we're going to talk about the self-seeking life and then go into the God-seeking life and just talk about accessing grace. So we will get to what the message is. So he reads in verse 1, he says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Again, he's writing to believers that had experienced a revival in a previous season. Do they not come for your desires or pleasures that war in your members? You lust and you don't have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. And you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. These people don't seem very happy, do they? Coveting, they're not having answered prayer, where God, where are you? They're fighting with each other. The anger's coming out to the point of murder, or at least the, the anger itself is that quality. I mean, God wants to offer something better than an unhappy Christian life that has a divided heart or feels distant from God. And when we give ourselves to sinful desires, these are the things that happen. You know, we think, here's the lie of the enemy, that if I just dabble in this thing that feels good, but I know it's, it's corrupting me, I know it's clouding me, I can do that and just kind of maintain. That really is a lie, and I've had to remind myself that as well, and had other brothers help me remember because what happens is even just opening a door to sin, we forget that even though the cross and the power of Jesus is stronger than sin, why would we let something like fire or like a stirring up that desire in our life where it could lead us astray over a course of time? You know, it first starts with maybe dulling our spirit. Then it, we don't realize we've gotten dull. Then we don't maybe enjoy prayer or Bible study anymore or Christian community. We're just kind of bored. We want to get out of that. But many times it starts because we've kind of been feeding on the wrong thing. Then we start distancing ourselves from maybe some of the things and how we connect with God. And then shortly after, our heart feels cold and we're just going through the motions. The Lord wants to deliver us from the self-seeking life. Yes, this is sober, but it's the truth. We can't candy coat it that even though Jesus paid for our life and his power is over sin, that sin can still grab a hold of a believer and those desires. In fact, in verse 4, James says this. Now, I'm just repeating the words of James, so you can take it up with him. Very intense language. Adulterers. In the Bible, adulterer is, it's usually a spiritual thing. There's a physical thing too. But he's talking about it spiritually. Basically what that means is when a person decides to get their security or fulfillment outside of the Lord. Repeatedly over and over, not caring. The Lord's saying, that is like spiritual. Spiritual adultery. I paid for you. I love you. Why are you going over there? I've got something better. And God says, if uh, that is becoming friendship with the world, notice it didn't say you can't live in the world, that you still love your neighbor, you still live in the world, but it now instead of being a light in the world, now you've gotten kind of taken over by its value system. And he says, even to the point where you've become an enemy of God. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you anymore, but it means that our heart 
could actually be resistant to him. We've let that desire grow so much. You know, whatever we feed upon, whatever we um, allow to grow in our inner being, that's the thing we become. That's who we are as a believer. That's just how it works as a human being. There's a way God made us that's very unique. He's put a spirit in us, and it's always yearning for something. That's what he talks about in James 4, 5. The human spirit is a jealous spirit. Now, this jealous can be for good or for bad. Jealous just means you just have a, a yearning or a longing for something. Now, there's two translations. Some people think that's the Holy Spirit, but I don't. There's both translations because at the beginning of verse 5, it's a, the connecting is the but or or. So in other words, he's saying, don't be in front of the world. It's going gonna, it's gonna to increase this hardness of your heart. It's going to separate you from enjoying God. Or did you forget that there's a spirit living in you, your human spirit, that will yearn for something? And if you feed it with the wrong thing, it'll keep yearning for that wrong thing. If you try to dabble in some kind of sin, it will try to take over and distort your inner being. So it's dangerous to give over to sinful desires because the human spirit is jealous for more. And what you feed in your inner life, you will want more of and eventually become. I look at the person of Lot in the Bible just thought of him today, and we don't have time to talk about it, but when they were trying to deliver him out of a sinful environment, his family members laughed at an angel. Lot was taking his time, didn't believe it, and when they finally were getting rescued out of this place, his wife tried to go back. They had gotten it lodged in their heart. Now, here comes the good news. I've got the next 10 minutes here. Roman numeral 3 to access greater grace. So James is now saying, okay, don't feed that. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm highlighting. Look at verse 6. But <laughs> there may be the yearning of the human spirit. There might have been some dabbling. There might have been access into your heart where there's a foothold of something dark, and you don't want it. But, but what? God gives more or God gives greater grace. There is a power in creation greater than the power of sin. Where grace, where sin existed, grace abound more. Romans 5.21. God not only can deliver us out of a distracted inner being, out of a double-mindedness, because we've been feeding both, out of a darkened or dull spirit, he can deliver us out of that and give us a vibrant heart for him. And give us to experience him on the inside and help us grow into that mature fruit tree that can bear fruit. God gives greater grace. All we need is the longing for more. And then what's the secret? Well, the secret is following in verse 6. He says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's a humility God wants each of us to walk in. That he wants to teach us how to walk in humility. Now, humility is a very vague word. When I said that, probably 10, 20 people had a different thought right now what that looks like, right? So let's define humility because it's humility as we learn to walk before the Lord and seeking him that grace is accessed and the Lord pours out his power and his activity in your life. Now, humility does not mean hunching your shoulders over and looking at the floor two feet from where you're walking for a while, okay? That's not humility. And um, humility isn't self-deprecating where you're just making comments about yourself and how bad you are. That's not humility. And it's not humility when somebody compliments you and you say, no, thank you. You know, it's like that awkward moment when you get a compliment. It's okay to say thanks. It's all right. That's not humility. Uh, humility, um, I was just reminded of a Chinese idiom that I will not say now, but later I can tell you if you're interested about humility. It's pretty funny. It's just, I've just already lost myself. Okay. Um, but humility is this. Now, this is really interesting. It's, it's a, our heart posture that is expressed in a certain way. Our heart posture realizing that we, apart from anything, 
We can't do anything without the Lord. We can't do anything. Our best effort doesn't produce what we're looking for. Our education or anything doesn't produce it. It's the poverty of spirit. And that's expressed in seeking God how he defines being sought and loving him on his terms. It's costly, but as we do it, he tenderizes our heart. He, he uh, positions us to fill us and help us. It's really one of the best ways to not only draw closer to the Lord, but to not feed those other desires that are trying to take you over. Well, what are some ways? It's interesting, James, he has eight of these actions. You know, these are actions are very intense. Like he says, draw, verse 8, draw near to God, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts for those double-minded being caught before. He even says, lament, mourn, weep. He says earlier, submit to God, resist the devil. He gives all of these um, directions how to access that grace. And at the end, he says, humble yourselves in the Lord, and he will lift you up. Verse 10, to humble ourselves, and he will lift us up. What does humility look like? Well, I think this is where James and Jesus have a, uh, they're, they're talking the same message, just kind of coming from different directions or using different language. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus highlighted five ways to seek him and five ways to pursue him. That's the way he said, you want to pursue the kingdom and you want to experience all that I have for you, then this is what it requires. And actually, this is what humility looks like. So we can't just say it. We have to go and show the Lord. And, and he's inviting us into that. And he talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. And it's five activities that, you know, we don't just do them once and think, okay, I'm done with this. Or, or we don't just do it and be like, um, uh, we're not doing anything to earn something from God. He already loves us. But we're doing some of these things to position our hearts so he's pours grace out on us. This is the way. This is what Jesus said, it said to seek him. I mean, there's nobody else that knows Jesus better than Jesus. <laughs> and he's the one teaching on the kingdom, so I'm going to pay attention. And then James afterwards comes and says the same things throughout these five chapters. So it's the same message. And, you know, for some of you, this might be uh, helpful. And, you know, because our time's limited, I would love to talk on these five areas more. Unfortunately, we just don't have that much. But you can study this or think of it more. But he says five things. He says to, to give your charitable deed in secret. Um, the Lord will reward you. To pray your Father, and he will reward you. To forgive or bless your enemies. Speak good things to your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Then, verse 17, fast. So withhold some food and go pray instead. Verse 18, your father will reward you openly. And then don't lay up treasures on the earth, but treasures in heaven. So Jesus tells us to give and serve. And so he's giving us some ways that is hum hum humility. Because like when you go give, you're weakening of your own strength. You're sowing it into something that God's doing. And now you're trusting him with what you just gave away, right? That's an expression of humility. Because I can't do anything, Lord, with what you gave me that I gave away. Or now that I gave away, I can't do anything. It's my expression of faith that I can't do anything without you. It's a sign of humility. It's all from God. When we serve, I remember there was a season where I helped people install like three or four different dryers. You know, like, you know, I was in the young adult community and everybody's moving. And man, I was the wrong guy to ask to help people move their washer and dryer. I mean, I could get it into the house, but the hookup thing... Just, I'm just not mechanically inclined. I spent like two hours trying to get a dryer connected to the wall, you know? It's like, there's got to be somebody better than this. But, but when we serve, we're taking our own energy we could use for ourselves, and we're giving it to bless someone else. And that requires us to trust God with our energy, our schedule, to trust God that, you know, the things that we have, we have time for. And, of course, you know, it doesn't mean you just do this till you're burned out, but you do talk to the Lord. God, is this something I should serve in? And it, but what we do that for the Lord, we're doing it before God. We're not doing it because we feel pressure from somebody. We're not doing it because I feel bad if I say no. We're not doing that. We're doing it because we want to bless somebody. And in that, we feel weakened. And then as we step out to bless them, our heart becomes tender 
because we're learning to love them. We're, we're trusting God with that thing we gave away, the energy, etc. And again, it's not like a magic formula. We're doing this because we want relationship with Jesus. But in the doing of it, we talk to Jesus. It increases our conversation with Jesus. Same with prayer and fasting. You know, when you pray, read your Bible, talk to God. And there's so many kinds of prayer, and I'd love to talk more on the kinds because we need them all. We need how to journal and commune with God. We need how to pray for other issues. We need how to pray for our own needs. There's many kinds of prayer. But when we enter into that, we actually have less time for ourselves. We have less time for the things that are pressuring us. That in itself is a sign of trust in the Lord. That is in itself is a sign of humility that I can't do anything, so I'm going to pray. And so with the less time I have left over, that 30 minutes less, I'm going to trust you with the rest of my day because I know you're God. And you will use that not only to expand my heart in love and help me feel vibrant-hearted on the inside, but then you'll actually help me with my day. You'll actually walk with me through my day. So even these, uh, all these five areas are a type of fasting where we voluntarily let God, we become weaker. I mean, this message of James that Jesus preached on is in contrast to the world. It is in direct contrast that who in the right mind in the world would uh, purposefully weaken yourself and, 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 trust, and, and trust someone else or trust the Lord with your life. The world tells you to hoard what you can, build as much as you can, get as strong as you can, and it's by your strength that you will survive. It's by your human strength that you will navigate your life. But the kingdom is not that way. The kingdom says all human flesh is grass. It's, it's on our own effort, we can't produce it. Does that mean we don't work? No. But it, there's a posture in our heart that's different. The outside could look the same. Could still be somebody working hard, with their, but their inside is learning to uh, seek the Lord so that he could give us the greater experience of the kingdom and produce things in us we couldn't do on our own. It's the following Jesus. It's the taking up our cross. And so James says, hey, if these don't do the self-seeking life, do the God-seeking, and you will see a breakthrough. You will see a breakthrough. But it's hard. I mean, I'll be honest with you. There's times I wish that, that it was just like, I don't want to be that. I don't want to feel that internal pressure of some of that. But then the Lord will come and give a breakthrough, give a breakthrough for us. And then my understanding and my love for God increases. And those areas of sin don't have the same foothold. Um, James highlights the same things. Let's just look on the slide there. He highlights uh, serving others with time and giving money to the poor. So it's the same thing as Jesus. He highlights spending our time and strength in prayer and fasting like Elijah, just like Jesus said in Matthew 6. You know, Elijah prayed seven times for something. Seven times and he didn't give up. And on the seventh time, rain came. It's about the persistence of prayer. And James, you know, said in 127, pure and undefiled religion is to look after the widow and the, and the poor, and the orphan. And number three, using our words not to curse others, to complain, blame, or criticize, but using our words to bless them or pray for those that are troubling us. That's not, all of these things are not natural. So the kingdom's kind of upside down in this way. When, again, James writing to us, we're in the family of God, we're in the kingdom, but to continue growing and maturing, we do these things to encounter God's grace. So the verse that Paul, it's the same theme, Paul highlights this in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 where he said, because he was being challenged in the area of his life and ministry, and the Lord spoke to him and said, my grace or my power is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, sometimes in life, God has to hem us in, and we, we kind of get weakened, right? There's many of us in this room, we've been in a circumstance, you don't have an answer for it. Could be a, an adult child. There's a struggle 
with an adult child and you, they're battling depression, they're bat- you don't have an answer. You're naturally weak in that area. You realize you have no tools. You've tried counseling. You've tried this. You don't know what to do. Well, there's sometimes in life God brings that. You might be at a work situation and you have some conflicts that you can't in your own strength resolve, right? This happens to all of us in some way. That's kind of where the Lord, <laughs> it's tough. We realize we couldn't navigate this on our own anyways. And so there where we learn to press and ask for the Lord, and, and he helps us. But then there's another way that we're talking about today, which is don't just feed, don't feed the old life, don't feed old sinful desires, actually actively so. Actively so, and actually embrace a weakness. Does that make sense? One is where the weakness comes to you, you don't have a choice, and you learn that God's power will help you. He will deliver you in some way. He, and his deliverance can look differently. Sometimes in the Bible people's deliverance is that they kept their faith and God's name was honored because they pursued the Lord. They were martyred. Stephen, he, he was stoned, but the Lord, the Lord saved him because he could keep his faith to the end. But Daniel, he had saved him out of the lion's den. So sometimes he saves us spiritually and physically. It's just the Lord's, his plan. What, you know, he says, follow me. He says, follow me. Let me, I'm over your life. Come be with me. I'm going to lead you. And so this reality is a, it is a mystery in the sense that the world doesn't understand it, but the Lord will release his grace and power. And I look back on my life, and I feel like the, these realities are so true. Um, you know, it was probably 10 or 20, 15 years ago where I started getting around people that were living and sharing these realities of how to fast and pray, how to... Um, you know, give or serve. And because of listening and engaging the Lord, talking to him, should I give here? But it opened up my faith and my heart and things began to change. You know, when I was a youth pastor, things began to change in my inner life. The Lord delivered me from some themes, but it caused, I had to learn to seek him on his terms. I couldn't just be hold back and do nothing and say, God, where are you? I had to seek him. And even if I couldn't seek him, I mean, many times I was just felt so weak to even do it, but I kept stumbling forward. I kept just saying, you know what, I'm going to keep pursuing you, just like that lady with the issue of blood, the, the one that was hurt in the Gospels. Just kept going after Jesus, no matter what, until I get a hold of him. And, and I don't always understand why it takes some time, but he's working something on us on the inside. He's, we're not earning anything from us, and he really enjoys us, but there's some way, there's things he, we have to receive from us. It just takes time for our heart to get ready to get there. And... This mystery James is talking about in Jesus is how to seek the Lord, but don't also get caught up where we're double-minded, where literally we have these desires, and they're warring on the inside with godly desires, and we spend most of our life doing that. We're allowing that to happen. And even worse, allowing those uh, worldly desires to start taking over so that we become enemies of God, so that we actually don't want the Lord. So actually that that uh, we, we're the, the, in the shoes of the folks here in James 4. All right, it's noon. So this is, this is a great place to stop. <laughs> so here's our invitation. The invitation to access grace. The invitation to meet Jesus as we learn to seek him on his terms. It's the invitation to pick up our cross so we can grow and produce fruit that would bless others, that would be a voice of stability and love in a coming troubling time. Let's just take a moment to pray. I don't have the worship team come up or one of our, I mean, I really love the worship this morning. I love, your worship is so great. You guys are doing a great job with your hearts and your skill. It's great heart and skill. Let's just stand before the Lord and let the Lord speak to us because we're already kind of at time here. Yeah, yeah, if you want to stand, you can. Yeah, thanks. And uh, if you have faith for anything, when I say faith is you have a desire in your heart I would invite you to come forward for prayer. I know we have a prayer ministry team 
Um, if those folks want to stand up here with me, you can. Um, but if you have a desire for something, you know, whether it is to today start on a journey like this issue has been taking over my life, and you don't even have to name it if it's awkward for you, but there's so many things warring. If you just want to start that journey today, come and have someone pray for you. If it's appropriate, tell them what it is. But my heart would be is long-term find someone you can actively share with. You know, there's a group of guys I'm uh, praying with, and some of these things warring on my soul, I will share with them and ask them to pray for me to continue to pursue the Lord. Because in different seasons, different challenges come. You know, there may be an issue you didn't deal with five years ago, and all of a sudden, boom, it's right in your door. It's trying to get access. And when you get to a season of different pressures, that's a season where the enemy is just looking to grab a hold. Um, maybe it's an area where you're like, God, I just want to I want to grow in what it means to encounter you according to you. I want to learn how to walk humbly like uh, Brian was talking about today in the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount. Let us pray for you just to grow with a desire to pray or a desire to read the Bible, you know? Sometimes you get that desire by taking a little steps, and uh, you might not feel it, but over time, you'll start desiring more of the Lord. Just feed a little bit at a time. But I just want to pray. I'm going to pray corporately over, uh, and then we'll just invite whoever wants ministry. But, um, <clears throat> Lord, I ask over this church that there would be an increased desire for Jesus and an increased desire to seek you, Lord, that, there would, that there's things, Lord, that's depression, there's condemnation, there's challenges, Lord, there's confusion. But, Lord, you're going to liberate your people. You're going to set prisoners out of prison, Lord, as your people start crying out and seeking you. God, you're going to set people and put them on a new trajectory of light, a new trajectory uh, of clarity and understanding. Father, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, release your spirit on your people. Release your spirit. Lord, that there would be a, 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 a zeal that would bubble up. There would be a hunger that would, that would grow, Lord, for what you have planned. And Lord, I just, I know just went during worship. I just see young people, young professionals. I really sense the Lord is moving on you. And uh, this is the time to seek the Lord. There is coming an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to the Midwest whether it's next year and the coming years, the Lord is wanting people, just prepare your heart to be ready, to be ready for an outpouring. Uh, the Spirit will set many free. The Spirit will turn many into the kingdom. And the Lord is wanting to prepare people to be ready to lead then. People be ready to help others. So, Lord, I ask over the young professionals, Lord, over young adults, would you awaken them? Awaken, awaken, O sleeper, and let the light of Christ shine on you. That the Lord would strengthen you and help you to build your family, build your life according to the gospel, and that you would be ready. So we just bless you in Jesus' name. If uh, you've got kids in children's ministry, you can go get them now and then bring them back in here. If you want some uh, specific ministry, uh, please come forward. Also, personal prayer art is happening, so um, sometimes the Lord speaks in that way to his people. That's right over here. Uh, we need a few more ministry team members up here. Thank you so much for your presence here. God bless you. Anything else, brother?